Zechariah, as we get into this word today, remain standing with me as we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 8. And this is Paul writing a letter to a church. So he says in verse 8, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships you suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure. How many can relate to that? We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly perils, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that we will continue, He will continue, the Bible says, to deliver us. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this word that's about to be preached. Give us a heart to understand and eyes to see, Father, what you're trying to tell us in our personal lives today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would use me to preach your word, remove all distractions and busyness in our minds right now, and help us to really learn and understand it. And we thank you, Lord, for our church. We thank you, Lord, for our family here and for the blessing this Sunday to worship. In Jesus we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat as we get into this, this word today. Paul writes a letter to a church. And every time Paul wrote a letter to a church, he had a reason behind it. Paul was a bad man. Murderer. Before he knew Jesus. How many of you know before Jesus, some of you were really bad? I mean, just be honest. You're like, man, I don't even want to think about that. That was Paul. He was so bad, his name was actually Saul the first time. In Acts chapter 9, Paul was on this journey to murder as many Christians as he could. He hated the gospel. He hated Jesus. He hated anything that resembled Christ. He hated the church. He hated Christians. He was out to get them because in his eyes, in his mind, he thought that Christianity was blasphemous. Judaism. So as he stoned many Christians, imprisoned imprisoned many Christians, and killed many Christians, he actually thought in his mind he was right with God. He thought he was great, that God was proud of him. But it was in Acts chapter 9 that Paul had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, on the road to go kill more Christians. Jesus intervened. And it was there that Paul recognized and realized that Jesus was Lord. And everything he was against was actually true. And it was there that Paul surrendered his life to Jesus. His life was never the same again. Don't tell me you've had an encounter with Jesus, yet nothing has changed in your life. Paul did not continue on his murderous rampage. He did not continue to put a stop to the church he actually began to grow churches and plant churches. Everything in his life was a complete 180. 
Paul would preach all over the world the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would preach for Jesus. He would live for Jesus. But he would also suffer for Jesus. And suffer he did. The Bible records, Paul himself records it in Corinthians, another chapter. But Paul says he was flogged, he was whipped several times. To the point that the Jews whipped him, the Bible says, 39 times. 40 was the number that they believed could kill a person. So they made sure they would whip him 39 times to get him close to death without killing him. It was a form of torture. Paul was whipped and tortured. The Bible says he was beaten with rods. He went into a city to preach the gospel. They grabbed him, they kicked him out, and they stoned him three times. Paul's been through prison. We recently learned that Paul was going through shipwrecks and storms. We read last Sunday that he was bit by a venomous snake. Paul records that he went days with no sleep. Weeks with no food and without water. Things got so bad in Paul's life that oftentimes he records his life as having to escape through windows to survive because everyone was out to kill him. And Paul went through so much suffering that the church in Corinth believed, falsely believed, that if Paul is suffering so much, if Paul is really going through so much Pain and suffering and problems and trials. Someone thought to themselves, maybe, just maybe, church, maybe Paul's not really an apostle of Jesus. Maybe Paul's not even a real Christian. Because the church in Corinth believed that when you were a Christian, you were a believer, you did not suffer this way. In fact, the word suffering and Christian was an oxymoron to the church in Corinth. They don't go together. So they believed that because Paul was suffering so much, he must not even be a real Christian. He must not even be a real apostle. And they began to question his faith, question his relationship with Jesus, all because they looked at his life and saw the suffering he was going through. So then Paul writes this letter. It's not a pretty letter. It's a harsh one. A strong letter. And he says it in verse 8. He says it best. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, Christians. Everyone say that. We don't want you to be uninformed. One person. Great. Let's say it together. We don't want you to be uninformed. Here's why it's so important you learn this. Because when Paul said the word, I don't want you to be misinformed or uninformed in some translations. He used the word agneo in the Greek. And the word agneo in the Greek is where we get our word ignorant. It's a strong way of telling someone they don't understand. They haven't got a clue. The word agneo in the Greek means to be so ignorant, not only do you not understand, but you believe something wrong because of your lack of understanding. 
And this is what Paul is telling the church. How ignorant they became. How misinformed. And how wrong they believed. To believe that as a Christian, you're not going to suffer. And Paul said to this church without apology, you're ignorant. See, when it comes to ignorance, we have to understand something. All of us at some form in our lives were ignorant. You know, I was talking to Jericho this morning and I just said, you know, you're ignorant when it comes to fishing. She doesn't know the first, she's like Danny, doesn't know the first thing about fishing. Doesn't know how to tie the line, doesn't know how to bait right, doesn't know anything. And because she's ignorant of fishing, she has the wrong belief that fishing, guess what, guys? She thinks that fishing is boring. And all the guys are like, what? That's Paul's attitude. Because it's a wrong belief that fishing is boring. It's so spiritual that even most of the disciples were fishermen, ladies. Let's just think about that. Some of you might think, some of you wives might think, you're ignorant when it comes to video games. Now, I personally am ignorant about it. I don't know much about it. I don't do it. But I look at my brother and how he loves to play, and I don't understand. And to me, I say, man, what a waste of time. Read a book. But then Danny tells you, you don't understand. This is my outlet. This is an escape. And I'm actually fellowshipping with my brothers in the church. JB, one of them. Look at Rebecca Stephanie. Because she's ignorant. She doesn't get it. But just how we men are ignorant when it comes to our wives. We don't understand half the things they do. And when I go shopping with Jerrica and we go to this place, it's where the devil lives, it's called Alta, it's a place of makeup. I just, I, I'm doing the straight man look. I'm like this. I'm not, I'm not saying, well, that's a nice one. No, I'm not doing that. But I'm sitting there with Jerrica and she's trying to get my opinion about all the colors. But here's the thing. They're all the same. There are how many pages do you need? But she will look at me with a straight face and say, you don't understand. I need this page and this page, depending on the tone and the day. In my mind, I think it's a waste of time. Just be naturally beautiful like you are. But see, all of us, in some way in life, our ignorance can cause us to believe something wrong. There are some people out there in the world that think and are so ignorant. They will look at you right now and believe you are wasting your time on a church on a Sunday morning when you can be out there on the weekend having a good time at the beach or Christmas. Why on earth will you be on church on a Sunday? Why do you go every week? That's crazy. And we were looking at it like, you're so ignorant because it's awesome. I love my church and I need it. And I need it. We're all ignorant. Amen? And if you don't think you're ignorant, that's how ignorant you are. There's a whole other type of ignorance. It's found in 1 Timothy 1, 13, 14. This is what Paul says. 
even though I was once a blasphemer, talking about the past, his murderer's days, the days of killing Christians, he says, even though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in what? In ignorance and unbelief. Isn't God good? The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love. That's in Christ Jesus. You know that there's some sins in your life you're doing right now that God has mercy on because you're ignorant of it? But when you go to a real Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, the time is going to come that you're going to learn the truth, that light's going to go on, and you're going to realize what you were believing was wrong, what you were doing was wrong. I can't believe I thought that was okay. I can't believe I thought that was fine. I can't believe I thought that was okay with God. But when you get closer to God and He reveals His Word, He begins to show you mercy and say, now that you know, be careful. We're all in this. Paul is teaching an ignorant church. What I believe we are today ignorant of a lot in the church. If there's anything that a lot of people in the church are ignorant about, that don't understand, and have a wrong belief about, it's that of the topic of suffering. Not just any suffering. Suffering as a Christian. It happens. It may be happening to you right now. We live in a world that questions God when problems occur. If there's any question I have gotten as a pastor I'm on my years in ministry, is, Pastor, why does God allow this to happen in my life? Why does God allow suffering? If God is so good, why does He allow pain? But this is what we have to understand about God. We live in a sinful, broken, evil world. So suffering is unavoidable. You and I, as believers, as Christians, in the church right now, we will suffer. Expecting not to suffer because you have Jesus in your life is as ignorant as you jumping off a building thinking you'll survive because you have a helmet on. Just because you have the helmet doesn't mean you're not going to crash and break bones and possibly get hurt and die. And just because you have Jesus doesn't mean you're exempt from suffering and pain. In fact, I believe that when you have Jesus, it's the opposite because when you have Jesus, it's when a light goes on for the devil and a target goes on your back and he goes on the prowl like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, Peter says. Who do you think he's seeking? He's seeking Christians. You and I are going to suffer. You can come to church. You can believe in Christ. You can be a pastor. You can be a worship leader. You can be anyone in the church right now. You're going to suffer. Christians suffer. Like Job in the Bible. Who loved God and served God and believed in God. The Bible says there was no one more faithful than Job. 
You would think if anyone was going to avoid problems, it would be Job because he prayed every day for his children. He gave sacrifices beyond what was required. He worshiped God every day. He loved the Lord, genuinely loved the Lord. He loved the Lord so much that God said, no one is like my servant Job. Can you imagine God saying, no one is like my servant Pastor David. No one is like my servant Jericho. No one is like my servant Maria. No one's like my servant Juan. Think about it. God literally said, no one is like Job. And the devil came to God and said, hey, that's only because you blessed them and life is easy and life is good. Let me attack him and let's see if Job still serves him. God didn't say, no, devil, no. Are you out of your mind? He's a Christian. You can't attack him. God actually said, don't. Just don't kill him. Job got sick. Job lost his job, his finances. A storm, an unexpected storm came, destroyed the house his kids were in, and he lost all his children. He had money problems, health problems, lost his kids. His wife goes to him and says, why don't you curse God and die? That's called marital problems, amen? Because if your wife wishes you dead, come see me for counseling. You got issues. Christians get sick like Job. We don't understand it. But Christians get sick. Christians get cancer. Christians have heart attacks. Christians have accidents. Christians lose their jobs. Here's a shocker. Christians go through marital problems. Christians have rebellious children. Christians go through money problems. You can be a Christian and your refrigerator might break at a time that you need it most because you're on, you have a baby in a few weeks. Job had friends that sat with him. They tried to do their best to encourage him, they sat down with him and said, what did you do wrong? Clearly, you sinned. Clearly, God is mad at you. Job, you have to repent of whatever it is, and God might restore you, but you have to have done something wrong. And Job is like, I don't know what I did wrong. I served him. I love him. Because his friends, like us, were ignorant. When it comes to suffering, Christians suffer. So much so that Paul gets honest in verse 8. He says, which is awesome of Paul to do because it's hard to be honest in the church about your problems. Because if you're in the church, you have the, the stigma and the pressure that life is supposed to be great and happy and together. But Paul gets so real with the church. He says, you're so ignorant of this. Let me tell you what my life looks like. And he says, we don't want you to be ignorant, uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. And notice how honest he gets. He says, we were under great pressure. How many of you are under great pressure right now? Most everyone in America is under great pressure right now. We're under great pressure. 
And sometimes that pressure, the Bible says, it goes far beyond our ability to endure. Now let's pause there because here's how ignorant we become when it comes to suffering. There's a lie that's taught in the church sometimes, and there's a misinformation going around amongst Christians, and it's a beautiful quote. You might even Google it and put it on the frame, but it's completely wrong. And if you have this frame in your office or in your job, get rid of that garbage. Here it is. Ready? Ready, church? Say ready. God will never give you more than you can handle. You ever heard that garbage? We're so ignorant because we have twisted the Bible wrong. When God said this, he was talking about temptation. He says, God will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. So that no one can stand there and say, no, no, that temptation was way too much for me. I couldn't, I could, I had to give in. That's what God is telling you. When it comes to temptation, there is not a single temptation in this world that God will allow in your life that goes far beyond your ability to endure. But that was talking about temptation. Never, ever did God mention this to mean trouble. Problems. In fact, there's going to be problems in your life that are beyond your ability to handle. Why? Because we're human. And we're in need of the Lord. If God was a God that says, I'll never, ever give you something you can't handle, there'd be no reason for us needing the Lord every day of our life. So get that out of your hands, your head. Life will hand you problems you can't handle. So much so, as we go back to verse 8, Paul was honest about it. He said, I was under great pressure far beyond my ability, our ability to endure. He says, I went through so much pain and so much problems, it was more than I could handle. I didn't have the strength to go through it. And he's honest about it, and you should be honest with God about it. When you're in a position in your life, just be real with God, get real with God and say, Lord, I can't handle this. I don't know what to do. This is far beyond my ability. I can't get this way. I can't fix this. There's no way out of this. And Paul was so honest. He said there was pressure that was far beyond our ability to endure. And he gets even more emotionally vulnerable. And he said this, that we despaired even at life. This is amazing what Paul said. We despaired in life. Going back to the Greek word there, despair. It's a word that's pronounced ek aporeo. Say that with me, church. We're learning today. Ek aporeo. The word ek literally means to be out of, to be empty, without. Aporeo literally means a pathway that leads out, an exit. You put the word ek aporeo together, you know what that means? No way out. To have no exit strategy. You ever been there? Paul was. He says, I was in, under a lot of pressure. It was more than I could endure. 
and I despaired in life. How do you know you are in despair right now? You tell yourself. There's no way out of it. I'm without hope. Without answers. There's no way out. Do you know how many people today, even in church, or even that person next to you didn't even think about or know right now? There are people all around us that are in despair. They might smile, but they're in despair. They might laugh, but they're in despair. They might come to church, but they're in despair. You might have a married couple holding hands, but they're in despair. You might have people that take great pictures on social media and all the filters you can imagine with a great life and vacation and their beautiful table for Thanksgiving or Christmas Eve and everything is all smiles and cute sweaters and they might even be in despair. But despair tells you there's no way. No way out. And Paul is so honest, he's not saying, I've always been strong, I've always believed, I've always been faithful, I've never doubted. Paul honestly gets down to this church and says, listen, do you want to know how much I suffered? I went through pressure, I went through problems that were far beyond my ability, I even went through a place where I thought there was no way out, I thought it was over, I thought it was going to die, and many people feel this way today. Many people say there's no way out. There's no way I can break this addiction. There's no way out of it. There's no way we can heal this marriage. There's no way out of it but divorce. There's no way I can get a job right now. There's no way I can make rent. There's no way I can put food on the table. There's no way this child's going to come to the Lord. There's no way my husband or wife is going to come to the Lord. There's no way my life's going to change. There's no way I'm going to get this promotion. There is no way. That's despair talking. It's scary when you feel like there's no exit. There's no way out. And you're empty. But in verse 9, Paul tells us why God allowed this type of level of suffering. We all know life is hard and sometimes we hit a bump, but I'm not talking to those people. I'm talking to the people today whether here or online listening, that you're at a point where you feel cornered. And secretly you tell yourself there's no way out of it. It's over. The pressure that you feel is a pressure that tells you it's never going to change. It's never going to get better. You're going to stay stuck where you're at. You might as well give up. But Paul understood something that we need to understand because suffering is a, a very ignorant subject in the church. We know that suffering occurs sometimes because of consequences of sin, ours or others. We know that suffering sometimes is allowed by God because it produces enough perseverance. It actually makes us better and works in our character. We know that God allows suffering because after we get over it, we're able to help someone out with the same level of suffering. We can say, hey, I've been where you're at. And God allows that. 
there's another reason that God allows us to go through pressure beyond our ability to endure, that you even despair at life and feel hopeless with no exit. Verse 9. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt a sentence of death. But this happened. Everyone say that with me. This happened. Say it loud and proud. This happened. Why is it so important you read that? Because I wonder what has happened to you. Or what's happening right now. Paul said, this happened. Why? Because it happened. It happened. That we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Who, by the way, raises the dead. So Paul understood the reason I'm going through so much pressure and things aren't working out, and I feel like there's no exit, and there's no way out of this, and it's far beyond my ability to endure. I don't have the answers, the power, the wisdom, or the influence to get out of this one, so it's over. And Paul understood maybe the reason I'm going through this is because God wants me to simply rely, to simply trust Him. To trust Him. You know that God will actually allow you to go through problems that are far beyond your capability to handle. So that you would lean on God and say, Lord, I need you because I can't. And God says, I know. That's why I allowed it. That's why God allowed Moses to go to the dead end of the Red Sea with no exit. Why? Because he wanted Moses to know that when God made an exit, only he could get the glory, and Moses would know what we need to know today. God will always find a way. God will always make a way, and he will make a way where there seems to be no way. So, But he allowed him to go through that moment, a moment of a dead end. He allowed the children of Israel to go hungry for a moment so that he would provide food. See, God wants to demonstrate in your life that you can trust him. And believe me, church, God can be trusted. But he allows the suffering so that we would rely on him. I heard a story recently, I read this week of this serious drought two years ago that hit California. There was no rain for months. And farmers relied on these pumps to pump water into their fields from, the, from various lakes around their area. It was common. In California today, you go to the, a farm, you'll see these pumps that pump from a river somewhere close. But because of the drought, there were these wildfires everywhere. Some of you remember them. And because of these wildfires, they were forced to drain this lake to put out these fires, leaving all the farmers without water. And many, many, many thousands of farmers in California lost their crops, lost their business, lost their money, lost their livelihoods. It was devastating. All except one man, one man. His name was Bailey. And satellite images showed Bailey's farm was completely fine. 
You had a citrus farm that was green, flourishing, strong, and everyone was baffled. What would this man did to allow his farm to survive? How is this possible? So agriculturalists and scientists and biologists, you name it, went to this man's farm to figure out everything. They tested the trees and the ground and they did everything. And they had one discovery they found out. They understood that Bailey's trees were different from all the other trees in California. His citrus plants were different from all the other citrus plants. His trees, the roots, were actually deeper. Grabbing water from moisture under the ground, not a lake. They asked Bailey, why is this possible? What, what did you do? And he says, well, during the season, that the water's fine and the lake is growing and everything's fine, I actually refuse to give all the water to that, those plants. I actually withhold water. They go without water for days, sometimes weeks, and, and I just do that so that they would not depend on water all the time. And because I refuse to always be there to always pour water into these plants, it's an old farming trick, the plants learn, hey, we're not going to get water today. We're not going to have water today. Hey, we're not going to get any water today. And the plants actually get their roots a little deeper than all the other plants. And they get the water from under the ground and survive. And then they discover another style of farming. And it's the style that says you don't always give water and give water and give water because when there's no water at all, that plant's not going to know what to do and they're going to die. But you have to let that plant survive and be without for a while, for a season, for a moment so that that plant learns naturally to grow underneath its roots. And that's what God does, church. God's not always going to be that giant lake that's always giving and giving and giving and blessing and life is good. If that were God, everyone would be in church right now. God says to us, His children, it's going to look mean sometimes. It's going to look like I don't care. And I'm even, it's going to look like I'm, not, I'm just ignoring you. But sometimes God withholds blessing. God withholds provision. He withholds miracles. He withholds in order to get us to a place where our roots run deeper and we trust Him. That's what God does. So when the rest of the world is dry and burning out and empty and going through a drought, they look at the church of Jesus. They look at us. They look at you as a believer and they wonder, why are you so happy? Why are you still standing? What makes you so different? And you say, me, my heart is rooted in Christ. It is rooted in His Word. So no matter what drought comes, no matter what problems occur, no matter what I have or don't have, I have learned to trust and rely on my Lord. Come on, give Him praise today. Learn to trust in Him. It says, Paul says, this happens so that I may learn to lean, to rely on the Lord. As a Christian, sometimes we need to understand 
that when there's no way out, sometimes the Lord is the only way out of your situation. It's not money. It's not pleasure. It's not your friends. It's not your job. I imagine in a lot of Christians, we have this giant lake in our hearts that think, as long as I have my job, as long as I have money in the bank, as long as I have this, my family, my kids, my marriage, as long as everything's fine and healthy, and I'm healthy and everything's good, I'm fine, I'm standing strong. But what if the lake runs dry? I pray that your roots are so deep in the Lord that no matter what you go through, whatever the Lord gives or takes, you stand, you just stand strong. Rooted, the Bible says. Be rooted in the Lord. We rely too much on ourselves, don't we? That's what Paul said. So I may not learn to rely. He says, so I can rely on God and not myself. We rely too much on ourselves. Yes, you go to work. Yes, you make the money. Yes, you pay the bills. You put the food on the table, the roof over the head. You go to work. You do everything. But all of that, you, you tend to think it's just you doing that. And when problems come and the lake runs dry, we rely on ourselves. Okay, what are we going to do, honey? What are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this? Oh, I got this. Don't worry. Listen, sometimes Paul's saying it's going to get so bad. It's going to go far beyond your ability. You might feel that way right now. Maybe God's telling you today, you need to rely on me. You rely too much on those friends. You rely too much on that spouse. You rely too much on that bank account, that job. But at any moment, the lake can run dry, church. And Paul said, I learned this so that I will rely on the Lord. Notice the language that Paul uses. You guys okay this morning? Paul said, I was under great pressure. I've been into drinking lemon water lately to cut down my Coke habit, my Diet Coke habit. I want to... <laughs> I've got to specify nowadays. Pastor of church, those cocaine in the midst it. No, I'm not. <laughs> and I like it. I actually like it. So every morning I get half a lemon and I'm putting it in my water. Stop imagining me doing drugs, guys. That's not weird. I wouldn't... <laughs> That's some of your past, not mine, all right? So let's go. And every morning, here I am, I'm squeezing lemons, putting pressure. And I, pre and I squeeze it to the point that there's no more. How many of you feel like that right now? That life is just squeezing you. Pressure. Pressure. That's all I got to say, and you already know the pressure you're under. Pressure. The second you get up, you have the pressure to get the kids ready for school and on time because you have the pressure to be a good parent. 
Then you have to rush to work because you have the pressure of going to work and the pressure of work because you have the pressure of making money because of the pressure of paying the bills to the pressure of keeping the house. And afterwards, you come to that house that you're under so much pressure to keep that you introduce to your family. And then you have this pressure to have a happy family. There's a pressure to be, I'm under pressure now, I'm not a dad yet, but I'm freaking out. Me and Jerrica, we did a tour of the hospital yesterday, and everyone's like, oh, this is awesome. And I was like, when I saw that little bed that she's potentially going to be laying in, I felt squeezed. Can you imagine being responsible for a little life? Pressure. You come home, you have the pressure of your marriage. We got to keep it spicy. We got to go on dates. We got to be right. We got to communicate. We got to do this. We got to be happy and happy. And the pressure of looking good and being good. Then we have the pressure of being a good Christian. You got to go to church. You got to read the Bible. Why? Because there's this pressure to please God. What happens after I put so much pressure? Can no longer pour out. And that's what a lot of you feel. You pour out every day. You pour out to people, yourself. So much of yourself is given to the world and others that life just squeezes you. But there comes a point that you can't anymore. This is what despair looks like. To be without. No more juice. Tapped out. Empty. I wonder how many of you came to church today tapped out. You know how many Christians are like this? Life has squeezed you so hard, you've been so crushed that you have no more juice in you, you have no more faith to give, no more worship to give, no more joy in the Lord, you just have nothing left to give. You know how many married couples feel like this? You've gone through so much pressure of everything you're going through and, and the pressures of life and the, and the day-to-day and it's so hard and you've been crushed by each other that you say to yourself, I have no more love to give her. I have no more love or respect to give him. I can't do it anymore, Pastor. I've been squeezed beyond my limit too much. I can't. So many people Feel that type of pressure. So many parents feel that squeeze. I can't anymore with my kid. I can't anymore with this child. I have no more patience to give. Young people feel this way. I have so much pressure. And the older people say, what kind of pressure can you be under? You're 15. The world today has a ton of teenagers under pressure that you and I were never under. And they feel squeezed. And that's why the suicide rate is so much higher now in younger people. Because in them they say, there's no more in me. I can't. You know how many pastors I talk to feel squeezed like this? He says, I can't anymore. Sometimes I feel like my church is a juicer. You guys don't just squeeze me. You guys chop me up in pieces. And I come to church, and I'm like, one more sermon, David. Okay, I can't. Squeeze. 
Now, how do you relate to this, Yana? It's hard. It's hard. So when I was squeezing my lemon, I started researching lemon. I researched everything. And I found out something. I was going to show you today, but the devil's real. My microwave, this microwave just broke today. So imagine with me, though. Can we do that? But I've opened the microwave, and I put the lemon in there. And I put it for 30 seconds. And when the 30 seconds were up, I got that same lemon that was dry and empty and squeezed to death. And tons more came out. Because did you know that after squeezing a lemon, if you put it in the microwave, for just 30 seconds, it gets softer. And more juice comes out. I don't know about you, but that spoke to me. Because I realized that day in the kitchen that the devil is a liar. And when you're at despair, and you say, there's no way out, it's hopeless, it's over, God wants you to know that you still got juice left. Come on, praise God. You still got juice left. Come on. Really? Would you turn to your neighbor right now and say, hey, you're looking juicy today. You tell him right now, you still got juice in you because the devil lies to you and says you're tapped out. It's over. Give up. It's hopeless. But I realized that when I put the lemon in the microwave, that microwave had a power and a source of power that enabled that lemon that could not pour out anymore on its own to squeeze more. You know what God is saying here? This is why I want you to rely on me. Because when you're tapped out and the pressure's beyond you and you can't anymore and you're in despair, God says, I'm that microwave. You just come to me. Trust in my strength. Trust in my power. Because I will enable you to do what you cannot do on your own. I will give you the strength you need when you're weak. I will give you the wisdom you need when you're lacking. I will give you what you cannot do. I will enable you to do what you cannot do on your own merit. That's why God says I'm allowing you to suffer because I want you not to be like this lemon that squeezed to the point of saying, that's it, I'm tapped out, there's hopeless, there's no more, I can't do it anymore. God says the reason you feel in despair is because you have failed to rely on Let's all stand to our feet as we close today. And I wonder today, how many of you needed this message? I know it's not Christmas. I know I didn't preach on the donkey or the nativity or whatever. But that's okay, right, church? There's a dumb saying, when life hands you a lemon, make lemonade. But I say, when life, when you're making lemonade and you have no more juice, run to Jesus. You still have juice in you. You might be telling yourself, Pastor, I'm tapped out. I can't. 
I'm incapable of faith. I, I have no more love to give. I have no more respect to give. I have no more patience to give. I cannot be squeezed. Life will squeeze the juice right out of you. But God wants you to know when you rely on me, I'll give you the strength to keep going. And we know this because Paul survived what he thought he'd never come out of. To the point that now he's talking about it and giving God glory. And I want to tell someone here today, that very problem today you feel you can't get out of, it's going to be a problem you talk about in the future and telling others how you got out of it. In verse 9, Paul said something that shows us why we go in despair. He says, in our hearts, we what? We felt. When you rely more on your feelings, then relying more on the Lord, you will be in despair. When you feel hopeless and feel depressed and feel like there's no way out and feel like it's the end and you feel this way and you feel that way and I feel there's no change, I feel and I feel and I feel. You know what Paul felt may have been real. He felt hopeless. But see, sometimes what you feel not always true. And here the truth is that Paul made it. And he relied on God like a Michael. So today I want to do a special prayer. Because Paul was real in the church. Paul got real with the church and said, I'm under pressure. I know you see me preaching and healing and doing all this, but I'm under pressure. Beyond my ability. I can't take it anymore. I feel like it's hopeless. But this happens so I may rely on God. And I want to do a special prayer to you. I want us to get real, like Paul. If you're under great pressure today, for, for whatever reason, would you come to this altar? Whatever the pressure may be, financial, physical, emotional, if you're going through a problem that's beyond you, it's okay and tell God it's beyond you. You go ahead and come forward. If you're feeling tapped out and squeezed, maybe you're financially under pressure and you're literally squeezed out and tapped out and say, Lord, I, I, I just can't give. I just can't be a blessing. I just can't pay the bills because I'm tapped out. Maybe you're tapped out of love because there's so much pressure in the home. Maybe you're tapped out of patience. Would you be so real today with God? Just tell the Lord the truth. Lord, I can't. Would you tell him right now that it's okay to tell God? I can't. Tell the Lord where the pressure's at. where life is squeezing. You say, Lord, I can't get rid of this thing. Lord, I can't change them. Lord, I can't worship. Life is squeezing the happiness, the joy out of me. 
But in Jesus' name, I tell you now, like this microwave, there is a higher source of power waiting to receive you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, no other name. No other name is greater. No other name is mightier. And Father, we are a church that goes under pressure. And we go through problems that are far beyond our ability. It makes us feel hopeless. It makes us feel weak, incompetent. But Father, I thank you that you are the source of power, ready to receive us when we've been tapped out and squeezed beyond our measure. And Father, I know that I may feel this way. I may feel hopeless. I may feel depressed. I may feel like it's over, Lord, because oftentimes we feel what isn't true. But I thank you, Lord, that in you, we still got more juice. We can keep going. We can keep fighting. We can stay married. We can raise this child to love the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for your strength, for your power to do what I can and I thank you, Lord. We thank him this morning. Come on, praise him today. We thank you, Jesus, that in you we have a way for you are the way to God. We thank you. We love you. We thank you for this word in Jesus' name. Come on, give him a real praise. Grab. Amen. Amen. Come on, hug that person next to you and say, you still got more juice in you. Come on. Come on. Amen, amen. Praise the Lord.